Who was around in the days when the X, XT computer, X, it was XT, I was going to get XT, it was an XT, and it, and it had a data operating system. Anybody? Everybody. <laughs> the average age of our church. It was, I don't know, mid, mid-80s, early 80s, and we used to have this. And, and you needed to, to have little commands. Remember that? There was a prompt, the DOS prompt. Then you had to type in a little command. So you had to have all these lists next to your, next to your computer, all these commands next to your computer of how to pull up files, how to do letters, how to get into things. It was very complicated. Okay. For me, it was very complicated. And, and then around kind of the, the mid-80s mid around about, the, 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 the 286 came out. And, and it had, a, it had a, um, a Windows program. Remember when Windows first came out? It was still monochrome days. The color hadn't come on the scene yet. I mean, this is like just the other day, guys. Come on now. And, and <laughs> thanks, James. Yeah. You were born at about the 486, eh? <laughs> so, so here we were trying to remember all these little commands. And this, it was an operating system. It's, it, was the, it was the technology. It was the brains behind what came up. And then when Windows came out, it was so delightful. And the term everybody started throwing out was user-friendly. Because it was exactly that. It was a user-friendly. It was easy to operate. Our mother-in-laws could, could use it. And some of us could use it as well. And um, I've been processing this better covenant we had. And, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks extensively about the old one being obsolete, the new one. And, and kind of in my mind, I thought, ah, that's a good illustration to tag it onto. It's kind of the old operating system, which was complicated. And I'll tell you how compli- com- complicated it was. Um, because in, in Exodus 24, when Moses came down the mountain, the people said, we will do everything God has said. That's what complicated it. That's where the operating system started because there was already an operating system in place but they opted for a different one and we talk about the mosaic the mosaic covenant just uh, skip down to where you'll see over 600 commandments Um, so so we we see the purpose of the law was given um, it says in in Romans 3.19 so that the whole world would be silenced and accountable so it kind of told us to shut up and uh, be accountable before God. And then in Galatians 3, it says, Before this faith came, we were prisoners locked up uh, so that this faith would lead us to Christ. And by being prisoners, we were constantly reminded of our guilt and, and our pending sentence. And we always felt like one thing you lack. You know, you'd rush out and do a whole lot of stuff, but there's one thing you lacked. You're never quite good enough. In fact, the law, there were about 600 commandments in all, more than 350 items and actions that you had abstained from. Just flip through down, please. Uh, about 350 items that actions to abstain from and about 250 actions of to do. So, so, so this was all came into the Mosaic Covenant. And then we see in Psalm 78:56 the result of all this, 
Um, but they put their God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep His statutes like their ancestors. They were disloyal and faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. They angered, him with, angered them with His high places. They aroused His jealousy with their idols. And when God heard them, He was furious. So that, that's kind of um, the result of them saying, everything you've commanded us to do, we'll do. This was the result of this Mosaic covenant coming in when God already had a covenant in place with them through Abraham that came by faith. They opted for this different covenant and the law was put there to keep us prisoners, to lead us to Christ, to tell us to keep quiet and bring us into accountability because all men know they were sinners. And this pattern has come through church history. Thank you. You can put it off once I'm, I'm read with it. Thank you. Just do my mind if I do a bit of training as well. Thanks for your help this morning, but I, I I'm going to interject. I'm going to go right off the track. Is it true we have triplets with us in the service this morning? That is like a miracle. One person can have three babies and bring them to church, and on time. Hey guys, hi Karen. Hey Josh, where are you hiding? Alala, inside there. Just greetings from Highway Church this morning. Inside. There. Bless you guys. I know what it's like to have one. How much weight we've lost with one. You wouldn't say so, judging by this. But Okay, that's what I said. A little bit of a... Okay, so people thinking, now what's all this got to do with my life today? Yes, okay, so there was this, Mosa- this Abrahamic covenant, then this Mosaic covenant, and now I know I'm a Christian, and, and I know I'm not under the, I was never a Jew, I'm never under the law, I could eat pork, I ran around on Saturday, Friday night, do my garden. I didn't have to stay away from people's skin diseases and skin infections. I didn't have to, um, you know, miss my brow on Saturday afternoon because I'd observed the Sabbath. And, and so, so what's all this talk, talk? Well, you see, the whole purpose of the law got misconstrued into man's effort and self-righteousness. And unfortunately, that spirit has come right down to this current day. And... If we don't get this right, we still operate under an old operating system, which is complicated. The moment we come into the grace covenant, what's all this big deal about grace? Well, most people don't understand grace anyway. They think grace is like, I do something wrong, God forgives me, let's grace, now try better. Most people, that's how they see grace. Grace is, I did something wrong, God's forgiven me, Whew, that's grace, and now I'm just going to try and be better next time. They don't understand that grace is a whole new operating system. It's not DOS. It's Windows. And it's actually user-friendly. And the windows of heaven are open all the time. And it's got to take a while before it trickles from here into here. Most difficult journey, these six inches. Because when we think, well, I'm not a general law, what's all the big deal? We, we forget that so much of our Christianity is being built around the, the principles that we do in order to satisfy God. Now, hey, come on, who doesn't want to please God? I mean, we want to please... It's in the new nature. We want to please God. Of course we do. It's the way we go about trying to please God where we get into trouble. Because if we substitute that desire to please God, which He has now opened the heavens for us through the, 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 the new operating system of grace, if we revel in that and the finished work of the cross and the better covenant and the character of God, if we revel in that, we do please God. Because that's what really pleases Him. But when we misunderstand that to this desire to run around and, 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 and somehow get misconstrued with 
what I've got to do, the little principles I've got to keep, the little laws, little routines, little rituals, little, and the Christian ones, okay, not the Jewish ones. We get into all kinds of trouble. And I've got two accounts of here. I, I don't want to knock these people. These were saints. These were amazing people. These were Mother Teresa stands head and shoulders above every one of us in terms of what she did. So this is not a criticism. This is just a little snapshot, a little cameo out of her life. Where, where I'll read it to you. In more than 40 years of tireless service, Mother Teresa had an impact on thousands upon thousands of lives. She reached out to the sick, the homeless, the orphans, her own country and beyond. Still, her private writings reveal a struggle for meaning, purpose, a stable relationship with God. In a recently released private writing, Mother Teresa confessed the following, I'm told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. You see, we can be very busy, very active. Another great one, who also stands head and shoulders above... well, not really, because we all stand equal. But you know, I'm trying to give them some credit. So I'm, not, I'm saying I'm not against, these are good people, but let me just, Martin Luther, listen to this. His struggle with religion is also well documented. Despite Luther's fervor and lifestyle of commitment, he was constantly overcome with guilt. He was infatuated with self-flagellation and made countless attempts to atone for his never-ending list of sins. In addition to whipping himself and bled, he would sometimes lie down on the snowy ground all night long in the dead of winter until eventually he was in such a state of shock that his colleagues would have to come and carry him away to safety. Now, now, now you say, now that's not the problem today. People don't live there physically. But how many live there mentally? Never good enough. Always that, 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 that little tantalizing fear of, of God's just not pleased. He's pleased, but not really pleased. That thing of, well, I'm not feeling in fellowship with God right now, so there must be something I did. So, so then we measure ourselves by an external grid. Do, do, oh, I left that out. So then the wrong assumption leads to, if I go and get that right, because God must, that's the reason why I'm not feeling close to God. If I get that right, now, there's nothing wrong with Christian discipline. There's nothing wrong with disciplines like getting up and going to church and worshiping. I mean, who, who benefited by being here today? You see, but it's the reason we wanted to be here. We want to be here just because God loves our, our corporate worship and fellowship. The moment it, we start feeling guilty about some, a lack of certain spiritual disciplines, we, we can slip into a, well, maybe that's why I'm not feeling close to God. And that's the enemy, that feeling. Because the only way you can feel God, close to God legitimately, the only way you can legitimately have fellowship restored is by faith. It's by knowing the work is finished. By knowing your Father loves you more than He could ever love you. By knowing that, that you're His bride and He watches over you caring. When that love gets awakened. Now some of you are kind of ahead in this journey. Some are in the middle somewhere. And some are trying to play catch up. So for those that are ahead in the journey, you shouldn't mind this being repeated. Because it reinforces. And it should. Because you know what our default setting is? Back into self-righteousness. Self-effort. Human principles. Having started in the Spirit, are you now trying to make yourself perfect through fleshly means? Etc, etc. Paul, we don't have to read the whole of Romans 7. 
But let's go there. And let's just look at something how he felt. Many religious leaders, many Christians feel this way. He says in verse 14, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do, I do not want to do, and the evil I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. Verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I do, but it's a sin living in me that does it. I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight to do God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man am I. I mean, he was going to, he just wanted to lie on the snow and beat himself up till he bled and have you know, Paul, Peter come and carry him out. You know? Thomas doubted whether he'd ever do that. And James and John just thought, serves him right, called down fire on him. You know? But, but, but here you have a situation where he's got this struggle in his life. And the whole unpacking of Romans is to try and help us understand. Let me, let me just get through what I want to say here this morning. All right. If your mind goes back on the Old Testament and you think of the Davids and the Last week we looked at Joseph and the, the Daniels and the Esthers and the, the wonderful relationship they had with God. The closeness they experienced. I mean, which is your favorite biblical character? Which one, if you could wave a magic wand and go back and be that David, a man of the God's heart, or Daniel living in victory, or, or Joseph ruling and reigning, or uh, all these wonderful great men of God. And Hebrews 11 goes through a whole list of them kind of telling us their great works and by faith they did these exploits and by faith they did those exploits and they were victorious and they conquered. And, and, but there's a very interesting verse right at the end in verse 39, which is going to come up now. From verse 39 to 40 in chapter 11 says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us. Say better for us. So that only together with us, say together with us, would they be made perfect. You see, there's a whole new operating system that involves God's desires being written inside us. This new covenant of God's desires being written inside us. Hebrews 8 verse 10 says, this is the covenant. It's going to come up with the board. Hebrews 8 verse 10. This is the covenant. A new operating system involves God's desires being written inside of us. Hebrews 8 verse 10. Is it there? Not on this operating system. Okay, this is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. 
I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So God's going to write His laws in our hearts. Is that referring to the old Mosaic laws? It's not a trick question. No. Who else will be in trouble? All of you cut your grass yesterday. Passo. All of you who went on email on Friday night. Big trouble. So what laws are these? Well, the, the Bible lists some, and I hope these come up. The royal law in James 2. The law that gives freedom, James 1. Jesus' commands, 1 John 3 verse 24. But all of these commands that the New Testament and the, that are expounded by Jesus and the New Testament writers are, they're not burdensome because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. You see, there's a love command here. What is that? What are those commands? It's to love God, to love one another. Living in the love of God that He has for us and overflowing with that love to others. So, so, so that's the law. Because someone might say, well, you see, there it says, in this new covenant, I'm going to write my laws in your heart. What laws are those? Well, it's the royal law. The royal law of love. Ah, there you go. Thank you very much. Okay, got lost in the old DOS system. Can we take up an offering this morning? We need desperately to have a windows. I'm kidding, we really do. Okay, so, so, so here's an example, right? Who owns a house? Okay, so some of us have done, gone through all the legal things and sales people, uh, agents and commissions and banks and bonds and insurances and the whole story. So now you bought a house, cost you a million bucks, you got your house and, and you're going along. About a year and a half later, you get a phone call from the bank saying, Sorry, sir, we made a bit of a mistake with your um, contract. In fact, it wasn't one million, it was actually two and a half million. We made a bit of a problem, but no, don't, no problems. We're sending somebody over to you right now with an amended document and a contract. You just need to sign and it's not a problem. So you just about to fall off backwards off the chair as you say something like, God help me! Before you phone your lawyer and ask, What's happening? How could they do this to me? This is wrong. It's, it's, in fact, it's, I counted, it's 430 days later. I can't believe they can come to me 430 days later and say, I signed, it was wrong. And, and, and the lawyer says, calm down, calm down, calm down. There's nothing they can do. Why? Because it was in the contract. It was written down in the contract. The amount you signed, you paid, it's over. But, 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 no, no, no. You see, the, the covenant that was made doesn't get lost now because of an amending. You stick with the covenant you have. Look at this. Galatians 3 verse 16 says, from 16 to 18, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Who's that? In Christ. Okay? The scripture does not say to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning the person who is Christ. Okay? What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 days later, I mean years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depended on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. 
This promise here was by faith. It was to believe in the character of God. And when someone promises to give you something, is it dependent on what you do? No. No one says, come to my house and pick up your birthday present. And then you get there and they say, please cut my grass first. (laughs) No, if it's a promised gift, and if it's by faith, what's faith? Faith simply believing what they're saying over the phone is true. I believe the word. So faith is what takes hold of it. So we, this other amendment that came into the contract over here doesn't change the promise. We can't please God by a rule-based perfecting ourselves. We have to perfect ourselves by believing that Christ is our perfection. And this is what Paul argues in, in, in Galatians 3 when he says, but you began in the Spirit. Now, how come you're trying to perfect yourself through human effort? This is the whole argument of Galatians. Because somehow they were trying to add to the finished work. You're saying, no, the way you perfected in Christ is you believe. Like the first contract said, without the do's, the don'ts, the have to's, the should do's, the wouldn't do's, the couldn't do's, you get to a point where you just believe. And it's that's the faith that God says, bang, you're right standing with me, finished. It's who you depend in. God says, I can put you in right standing, which means we, sh- we should stand and go, I'm in right standing. Right standing means I'm in right standing with God Almighty. I have an awe of Him, but He's my Father. I have a, a respect and a holy sense of how great He is, but He's Abba. And He said, I've put you in right standing. What all this other stuff and all other religion and all other religiosity cannot get you to a state, to that position. But before I preach it, let me just read it. Look at this. This is so powerful. We see that Paul's got his predicament in Romans 7. Now flip over to Romans 8. It'll come up from 3 to 4. Listen to this. What the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh. The flesh, if you've got in your Bible there, if it says sinful nature, take your pen, rub it out, and write in their flesh. Because this is where they got it wrong. This is where the commentators got it wrong. Uh, King James, uh, New American Standard, the NEV, the um, Revised Standard, all of them say flesh because the original word is socks, which means flesh. The commentators who did a brilliant job with the NRV got that word wrong. If it's, is it in your Bible a sinful nature? Okay, yeah, so you'll see at the bottom it says uh, flesh, bottom of, so you, that's the right word there, socks, because somehow they, some people took it on themselves to say flesh must be sinful. And, and that was a dualistic mindset. Because the, sin, the flesh is not always sinful. The flesh can do very good things. The flesh can do good works. You know what the flesh is, not socks is. Often it's about, what do I look like to others? What have I got? What makes me look good? What can I do to feel good? And that can be good as well as bad stuff. So, so I'll just pause there for a moment because the flesh wasn't just this ugly, revolting thing. Paul wasn't running around murdering and killing. He was just... The, he had this limitation called flesh, which by the way, if you pinch yourself, hello, anybody out there? You still got it. 
But biblically, you don't have a sinful nature anymore. Sinful nature was crucified with Christ. You have a new nature, according to the Bible. You're a new creation. You have a new nature. That nature wants to please God. That nature loves God. Of course, there's still sin that operates in the flesh, but the flesh isn't just evil. The flesh can be good works, religion, religious activities. Eh? Flesh and love. Oh, the flesh can love. The flesh can do good things. But, but, but it can also bring about self-righteousness as well as it can go and sin. And which one is a problem now? It's the self-righteousness or the sin? Both of them. So, so he's saying that this law was powerless because of this thing called socks. The socks really sucks, okay? Because of this, God did... By sending his own son in the likeness of socks to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now here's the thing. Who fulfilled the law 100%? Okay. Who... Paid for sin, completely, done, deal, finished. It is finished. The moment I put my faith in Him and come into union with Him, I come into Him and He comes into me. Who, who come, he who had you no know, sin became righteous, so, became sinful so I could become the righteous of God. It says now, now that that transaction has taken place, the requirements of the law are fully met in us. Not by us. Not us now going and doing the Mosaic law. They've been fulfilled. You can stand up and say, I fulfilled all 400, 500, 600, everything that could ever be fulfilled because of being in Christ and Christ being in me. That's what he's saying here. Now, we don't live according to the flesh. In other words, we don't just say yes to everything the flesh wants. But now... He hasn't taken away the sinful nature, not replaced it with something much better. He's given us a new nature in the Holy Spirit. And you know, for us to come and do what we did this morning to worship, you have to be 100% holy and righteous. Did anyone feel like they qualified to be 100% holy and righteous this morning? No, you can't be. But the one who is in you is. And that's why we stand in His perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. Because if anything unclean came into the presence of God, it just frazzled up like the top of a match. Shh! Nothing holy can... We have to be holy to come into the presence of God. Which it says... Jumping ahead a bit, I think. Oh, in Hebrews 10. Look at this. Uh, verse 9, I'm just jumping one ahead, I'll come back. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. But you see, my friends, there's, there are two operating systems. There's the operating system that the flesh can even do, which is towing the line, trying to be good, trying to, in some way, thinking that positions me. That always ends up with a, I'm not good enough, there's one thing you lack. 
There's another operating system called a grace operating system. It's based completely on the finished work of the cross. Grace is a system. It isn't just, I sinned, now God forgave me, I must try harder again. A lot of people understand grace like that. And when you talk to them, they say, oh, we know grace, we know grace. I was a sinner and then the Lord forgave me. Yeah, that's included in it. That's wonderful. But grace is an operating system. It means you stand in the full righteousness, having been made holy, having been sanctified once and for all. It's done. And as you live in that position, when you feel close or when you feel far, it doesn't change. All I'm hungry for is the manifest presence of God in my life which I can have now, because I don't have to do anything to get it. I have to operate on faith. That's the operating system I'm in. It's by faith in this that I, I live in that. You say, is this practical for my life? This is the most practical thing in Christianity, is to live in this place and have this mind, renew our minds, renew our minds, renew our minds. Someone might be thinking, well then what about the Old Testament? You know, do, do I just thank God for the gospel that's revealed through the whole scripture. The gospel announced in advance to Abraham. That's what Galatians says. It's a beautiful masterpiece, a picture of God's dealings, creation, man's fall, the, the invasion of sin on the planet, God's faithfulness in spite of man's faithlessness. God's sacrificial system pointing towards the cross. His covenant to Abraham. I mean, these things are so rich. The Psalms, the worship of a man. I said earlier that, that some of us would like to be like David. Well, Hebrews said, he's only made perfect with you. You in a much better covenant than David. Under the old covenant, if you sinned, you were punished. Under the new covenant, Jesus was punished. So we don't have to be punished. Under the old covenant, David said, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. In the new covenant, he's promised us, I will never take my Holy Spirit from you. We don't live over here and, and, and live with this fear of, oh, what if I go too far and God takes his Holy Spirit from me? He says, I will never leave or forsake you. Yes, you can grieve him. Yes, you can, you, you can quench him. Of course we understand that. There's even a blasphemy, which is to, to deny Christ and turn your back. But I'm talking about just an everyday Christian trying to do their best, trying to live a life. Let me tell you, you're in a much better covenant than David was, or Joseph was, or Abraham, or any of those patriarchs. You're in a much better covenant. That's why we love the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is this beautiful painting. Of God's ways. His wisdom revealed. The prophecies of Christ. And then the fulfillment. You take the Old Testament away, you lose so much of the richness. But here's the thing. If we don't interpret it right, it leads to death. It leads to religion. It leads to bondage. I'm tempted to say so much more than I need to. I have got so much going on inside me. Because I've always believed in the finished work of the cross. But I mixed it up. I didn't really believe that this operating system here could not be changed. Like my bond on my house was a contract signed, sealed and delivered. This does not change it. I live in the light of a far beautiful, more beautiful one. I was chatting to... Um, Greg Caswell in the week, and um, by the way, he just sends regards to friends and whoever. 
just chatting about the prospect of planning out groups, preaching the word and all that stuff. And he gave some good perspective on that and some, some stuff I've taken to heart. Maybe also around not trying to do two together, but maybe focusing on one first and as a team get behind that, blow wind into it, get it established, maybe then the second one. So we're still in a process of looking, praying. We know we're committed to do this. There is a new baby coming, but there's something also that's, that's being prodded. I'll say all that as a parenthesis. Please can have your minds back as I finish my sermon now. He, he mentioned a book to me, a Gaba, the na- it's called The Naked Gospel by Andrew Farley. And he said, best book he's ever re- read on, on the new creation. And then in chatting to Rob uh, from Hong Kong, the same thing came up. Two unrelated conversations, the same, the same thing came up. So I want to highly recommend... You make every effort to get a book called The Naked Gospel by Andrew Farley. If you haven't got the money, Brad says he'll help you out after this. <laughs> you can sell, sell your mother-in-law. No, sell, do whatever you've got to do. But um, can I read an extract to you? Just in close, and we're trying to come to an end here. Listen to how he says it here. Have you got it? The secret. The secret is that grace deactivates our pride. Removing the law from our lives means our self-effort is no longer prodded to control behavior. The law excites our human effort. It encourages us to depend on resources outside of Christ. But unconditional acceptance deactivates human effort and allows the Holy Spirit to be all that He wants to be through us. Don't you wish you'd said that? I wish that was in the Bible. (laughs) In fact, it is in the Bible. We spoke about Paul in Romans 7. We then looked at the fact that God condemned sin, that his victory came as he started off Romans 8. There's no condemnation to those in Christ. Who will deliver me from this body of flesh? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He breaks the deadlock of chapter 7, the old operating system, and he bursts into this new life in the spirit. This, the, the, this, this victorious life by engaging the new operating system. By saying, there's now no condemnation. We live victoriously. And in the midst of this great awakening in his life, he realizes that God didn't remove the, the, this operating system without providing a better, superior operating system. That, that, that great grace comes now to, to, to work in him, to teach him, to say no, to overcome sin. Last scripture, really last scripture. He finds even in his Christian life there's some challenging times. He doesn't, or else he would have just said amen after chapter 8 and we would have all gone home. But, but he makes a statement in some of his own personal struggles. Is it there? The last verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But Jesus said to me, listen to this, I want to hear what Jesus said to him. 2, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Paul had come to the place where he understood total dependency in Christ. 
It wasn't an issue anymore or what he could do or couldn't. He came to a place where he said, I know God's going to work most powerfully in me, even when I'm in my weakness. And that's what the guys are trying to teach and trying to say and use examples like, even in the midst of, an, of a bondage in your life, it doesn't change your position. And it's actually that position that will set you free. As you come to an end of saying, I need to do this, I need to set a New Year's resolution, I need to try harder, I need to change this. Or come to an end of that and come in total dependence where you say, Jesus, you and you alone are my victory, my success, my favor, my overcoming whatever predicament I'm in. I'm finished with trying my own effort and disappointed promises that just make me feel I've lost fellowship with you. I'm throwing that all away for this knowledge that Christ alone is my victory. In my weakness, He makes me strong. When I come to the end of my boasting, the end of my own strength, I will boast in this, that Christ has done it all. The fact that so many have left church, Christianity, the Bible behind, is because they've lived under a wrong operating system. Leaving them feeling condemned, guilty, never just good enough. We never help them see the good news that the gospel actually brings. I hope we are starting to see it. I hope we are starting to catch it. Grace is not just a remedy. It's a whole new operating system. Can we stand up this morning?